Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Randy. And we are talking about burial. What are you looking at me for? Oh, well, no, dang, I'm man. not that old. That was a dark turn. <laughs> that was a very dark turn, Randy. I've been waiting to do that ever since you said that we're going to talk about burial. I'm so sad. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, it's been a good one. See you guys later. No. Um, we're not promised a lot in life. We are promised a, a, a very few things. One of those being the fact that we're all going out one way or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My generation used to say the only two things that you can count on in life are taxes and death. I think that's fair, man. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, and, and you know, like, what has death looked like for people of the past? You know, that's an important question, but I think an even more important question is what happens for your family? Yeah. What yeah. happens when it comes to burial? And burial is a thing that comes up a lot in scripture. It really does. A lot of uh, there, a lot of scriptures dedicated to burial. Um, a lot of Leviticus is dedicated mm-hmm. to laws about handling the corpse and dealing with the corpse and kind of m- moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so throughout Christianity, um, the church, in its many forms that it has taken has had a lot of different thoughts about burial and yeah. about what that can and can't look like. And that fluctuates depending on who's kind of calling the shots at yeah, the time, it yeah, seems like. Yeah. And there are certain things in burial that this culture says you shouldn't do and that culture says that you shouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, something that actually triggered this podcast was uh, just kind of Googling what, what people were looking up yeah. about the Bible. And, and one of the top things that just kept coming up was cremation. So I can remember growing up, uh, cremation was something that Christians weren't supposed to do. Yeah. And that's not been that long ago. Yeah. No, um, it, it, it's kind of fluctuated throughout history a little bit, I think. It definitely has. Um, well, I mean, what originally got me kind of thinking about this is my dad passed away less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to cremate him because, man, when you start looking at like funeral costs and things, oh, like yeah. as far as... Embalming <clears throat> and coffin. Oh my gosh! Like it's so 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 expensive. It's it's five figures, right? And so we wanted to make it easier on my mom and go the cheapest route possible because honestly, that's what he would have wanted, and that was cremation. But then immediately, it's like red flags go up, and we're like, "Oh wait, are we allowed to do that?" Okay, like, did you have people actually question you on that? No, we had nobody okay. question us, but we kind of just self-regulated there right. and went, "Wait a second. Is that biblical? Like, and if you Google it, you're going to find opinions all over the place. Well, and apparently there's a lot of people asking this question, right? Like, I mean, it's a top Google search about the Bible. So, like, are is cremation okay? And and so, you know, we thought, yeah, we'd love to answer that question, and so we will. But we we want to tackle burial as a whole. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, 
not just cremation, but all forms of burial. What does scripture say? Right. And what did it look like then? And what should it look mm-hmm. like now? Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important uh, important thing to question. And so you want to kind of take a peek at history? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in scripture, the first person that we have uh, any, any detail on being buried is Abraham's wife, Sarah. When Sarah died, Abraham wanted to bury her appropriately. And for him, at that time, that meant he had to acquire a piece of ground. Now, up to that point, he didn't own any of the land of Palestine. Mm. So he was going to buy a piece of the land that had been promised to him. So it's in Genesis chapter 23. And what we get in Genesis 23 is this really interesting give and take where he sees a piece of ground, he says, I want to buy that piece of ground. So he goes to the tribe that owns it, and they say, oh, just take it. And he says, no, I want to buy it. Oh, just take it. No, 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 this is for my wife. It's important that I buy it from you. I want to buy it. Oh, just take it. What is 500 pieces of silver between us? Okay, 500 pieces of silver, and he starts counting it out. So you get this really interesting cultural give and take of a bartering for a piece of property that really is probably overpriced at the price that they gave. But for Abraham, he was burying his wife there. Mm -hmm. So then he buried her. Um. They use caves frequently. But later on, let's see, where is this? Um, Later on, uh, Genesis 25, 9, Abraham is buried there. Then later on, Genesis 49, 31, Judah, who is Abraham's grandson, Mm -hmm says, bury me in the cave of Abraham and Sarah. And eventually, when Moses takes Israel out of Egypt, he carries along Joseph's bones, and they go to that cave. And they reopen the cave, and they bury Joseph's bones in there with Abraham and Sarah and Judah. And there were probably other family members that weren't mentioned. So we begin to see a little bit of something about what um, burial and burial customs look like at that time. Hmm. I mean, it's it's clearly even then. And I mean, between Abraham and creation, when there was no death at all, right? Right, right. Um, it's kind of questionable how long that's actually been. But... It has already become the super, super important thing to do right. Well, it's honoring the person who's died. Right, right. Yeah. He's in, so, so you've brought this up and now I have to ask, but why was it so important that he pay rather than to just receive it? If he just received it, it wasn't really his. 
Yeah, and that's kind of how else. I've always assumed yeah. that, that that would just come back to bite him later. Right, yeah. right, right. David actually does something like that. I'm, I'm listening through the Bible in a year, and I just listened in a, in a portion where uh, David wanted to buy a particular wine press where the angel appeared to him and stopped a plague. And the, the owner of the wine press said, oh, you're the king, just take it and and uh, build an altar and here are two bulls, uh, sacrifice these bulls. And David said, I won't sacrifice something that didn't cost me. Mm. And he he buys the wine press, buys the bulls, and I don't know, probably hired the guy then to help him build the, <laughs> the altar. But uh, there's something about, I, I have skin in the game here. Uh, this is not something somebody's doing for me. This is me uh, putting my wherewithal on something. Um, okay, so we've got Abraham. He wants a tomb that's his own. It's his family tomb. We're going to see that becomes come a up. family tomb through children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. Right. And, and that kind of stays in Hebrew culture, right? Or was yeah, that oh, yeah, yeah, was yeah. that predating Hebrew culture? Well. It probably predated Hebrew culture. I think a lot of people used natural caves. This was a natural cave. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, which kind of means that on Jesus' death, either Joseph was saying, hey, I made this for me, but now it's going to belong to Jesus, or it's Joseph saying, I'm part of his family now. Hmm. So let me bury him. And what they would do, there would be a larger area in the front where you would put the recently dead. And then years later when somebody else died, you'd go in and that body would now be decayed and rotted and only the bones would be there. Mm -hmm. So you'd take the bones, you can compact that up in a lot smaller space there was a smaller area in the back mm-hmm. where you would put the bones of our ancestors. So you do get references, especially in the Old Testament, of so-and-so was, was buried with the bones of his ancestors. That's what that's talking about. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what What's, like, for instance... There's the is it a verse about uh, fighting over the bones of of Moses? Where does that come from? Is that Mormon theology? No, no, no. That well, it might be. I might be getting that mixed. It's up. also intertestamental literature. Okay, that's what there's it a is. book called the Ascension uh, Ascension of Moses. Yeah, and Michael and is that in the Belial. Uh, it, it's in that genre of literature. Sorry for everybody listening. Randy and I have been deep diving intertestamental <laughs> literature, and it's frying my brain. So I'm It is get- so interesting. But yeah, that comes from there. They fought over Moses' body. But we're going to get into Moses' death in just a little bit here. Okay, okay. So with no, let's that, with, do it now. Well, I was going to say, without even going into... You know, they, clearly that's not biblical, right? Right. But, right. but that ideology is clearly something accepted by them, that there is an importance to having the bones of somebody. Absolutely there is. And, and that's the importance of reading intertestamental literature is that 
it's speaking to the minds of where people were at at that point in time. And so, what you find frequently in intertestamental literature is that where the Old Testament is silent, they fill in the blanks. Right, right. And so like we know Moses dies from from the actual Bible. We but know he's that. never buried. Right. They can't find his body. Right. And so my question, though, is why would the devil want his bones? I have no idea. There's no, like, <laughs> cultural thing about, like, maintaining the body of someone? Uh, I, I don't think there is in in uh, Judaism. Now, in intertestamental literature, maybe there is. Maybe there is. But I, I, I wanted hmm. to get to this. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 34, okay. the death of Moses... Uh, Moses went up to Mount Nebo, uh, across from the plains of Moab, and he climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. The Lord showed him the whole land, and then he says, you're not going to enter. And then in verse 5, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moses, just as the Lord had said. And the Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day, no one knows the exact place. Now, it says that, here's a take I heard on this, and I love it. I have no idea if this is actually what happened. Verse 5 says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. It's not exactly what it says. What it says in Hebrew is that Moses died in the land of Moab at the mouth of the Lord. Okay? Now, possible translation for that phrase, as the Lord had spoken, as the Lord had given those words. I heard somebody one time say, I think what happened way earlier in Moses' life, he said, God, I want to see you face to face. And God said, oh, you can't do that. If you do that, you'll die. So I'm going to hide you here in this rock. I'm going to put my hand over the cleft in the rock, and I'm going to walk by you saying my name, and you'll see my backside. And Scripture says that Moses saw his backside. This preacher said, Deuteronomy 34, God finally said, okay, Moses, you can see me face to face. And God reached down from heaven and kissed Moses, and Moses died when he saw the face of God. That's a bit of an intertestamental take in itself, <laughs> isn't it? It is, look, it is. Look, it's poetic and it's pretty, but... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, but I love that image. Real quick, Jude nine. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing <laughs> with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but That's said, right. "The Lord rebuke you." Jude nine quotes a passage from the Ascension of Moses. <sighs> the problem is. We don't have that section of the Ascension of Moses. The Ascension of Moses is a fragmentary text. And there is no text of the Ascension of Moses in which Michael says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. <laughs> I knew I wasn't crazy, though. No. It's in there. 
It's, it's in, in there. there. All right. That's cool. right. All right. You're right. I feel better now. <laughs> not not misrepresenting the book over here. We're good. But again, it all comes back to the importance of burial. Moses was buried. They looked for the place. They couldn't find it because God buried him who knows where. Okay. So <laughs> you do think they buried him, though? Well, Scripture does say that the Lord buried him. Okay. Ah, uh, sorry. I got another. I've got another. Oh, no. Okay. Never mind. We're good. We're good. I was about to go down like a, a rabbit hole, but we're not going to do it. The, the, the next, not necessarily a rabbit hole, this is uh, right in line with what we're talking about. Do you want to talk about the process that they would go through when a person died? Yeah. What were the steps that they were supposed to do? Absolutely. And we don't see this because there is no law that says when somebody dies, do A, B, C, D. What we do see are certain things that happen again and again. And so we come away saying, okay, this must have been the acceptable way of dealing with the corpse. Mm -hmm. The first thing you get is crying. Um, It was expected that when someone died, there would be a great deal of crying. So when Absalom dies, how does David react? He hears about Absalom, King David's son, hears about his death. Second Samuel eighteen thirty three, and the king was overcome with emotion. He went to the room over the gateway and burst into tears as he went. He cried, Oh my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh Absalom, my son, my son. So Just the repetition there, you get the idea that David was just coming apart. Hmm. Now, this happened earlier, 2 Samuel, the first chapter, when they tell David that Saul and Jonathan have died. They mourned and they wept and they fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel, because they had died by the sword that day. There is a great deal of crying. Now, if you go to a funeral here in America today, you see people struggling to control their emotions, but they really don't want to cry. Fair enough? Mm -hmm. I was a new missionary in Columbia. I had made friends with a young man named William. One day William called me and he said, my cousin is married, lady cousin. Uh, She is married to a soldier and just found out that her soldier, her her husband was killed. So they shipped the body back. He said, "Uh, go with me to the funeral. So I said, sure, we'll go. So I went to the funeral. Now in Columbia, they wouldn't embalm the body. Uh, by law, they have to be in the ground within 24 hours. Why is that? Not embalming the body. Oh, just because right. it, could, okay. it, it decays you. and it spreads disease. So, so almost as soon as the body was sent from the war zone, uh, it was in a box and going in a grave. And in this particular case, uh, uh, the soldier was going into a grave in the ground, so they had dug the hole, and they put they 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 had ropes around a wooden coffin, 
and they began to lower the coffin into the ground, and his wife, William's cousin, shrieked, jumped on top of the coffin as they were lowering it into the ground, beating on the coffin, oh, my husband, my husband, oh, my love, my husband, my love. And I started to go for her, and William said, no, let her go. This is how she works it out. This is how anybody works it out. And sure enough, you'd go to a funeral in Columbia, there would be great crying. And then it was done and over. It was That was a healthy way of dealing with the death. Takeaway from that is we have got to learn to mourn effectively. Hmm. And that includes expressing our grief over what's happened. But there is also something cathartic in um, uh, this level of crying and uh, lamenting and wailing. Uh, It is not a bad thing. No, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I also think it's a person-to-person basis. Um, I think everybody grieves in their own way. That some people are more personal about that sort of thing, yeah. um, but it is powerful when you see somebody move yeah. to that level. Yeah. Um, we had a friend of ours back in high school. Um, his dad passed away, and he had just kept his composure so well through the whole thing. And you wouldn't have, like, you knew he was sad, but he didn't show it. And then at the actual funeral, when his dad was being buried. It just, I don't know if it just like became real to him all of a sudden. Like the shock kind of broke for a minute. But man, he lost it. And like, it, like, I don't know how to say this. Like it, it's shocking when somebody does that, but it like, it's okay. You know, oh, and, yeah. like, and yeah. you, you don't fault them whatsoever. No, no. It's like you say, hey, I, I get it. Right. I like get in, it. any other situation in the world, like, you know, <laughs> we, we get weird if people get super emotional over things, it, it, tell them they're overreacting, whatever. It, there are certain scenarios, though, like death, where it's like, no, this is the appropriate response. Like, this is, this makes sense. Go ahead. Go ahead and do what you got to do. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think we've lost a little bit of that in our culture, which I don't know why. Is it because we're just more reserved? Like we're very private? Yeah. At least, I don't know, men are, I think. I think it's much more acceptable to see a woman crying like that in public, but men don't cry. Um, hmm. <laughs> so the second thing that they would do is they would address the body. Um, there were two things there that, that would take place. First of all, uh, they would kiss or embrace the body. Uh, Genesis 50 verse one, after Jacob died and he's in Egypt and Joseph is there, Joseph threw himself on his father at this point of corpse. He wept over him. You see the crying and then he kissed him. Um, so I heard, I didn't even remember the context it was in. I think it was James Dobson. 
he was talking about uh, his his father passed away. Uh-huh. And he passed away in a hospital, and his mother was there. And he said when his father passed away, uh, the doctors said, uh, Mrs. Dobson, is there anything I can do? And she said, just give me some time with the body. And uh, the doctors laughed. James stayed. And he said that his mother caressed the entire body of her husband. Just ran her hands over it like like he was saying she was saying uh I remember I remember and for Dobson that was very moving I think it's this point now related to that Genesis 46 verse 4 when uh Jacob uh, talks about his impending death. He says, I'll go with you down to Egypt. Well, God says to Jacob, I'll go with you down to Egypt, but I'll bring you back again. You'll die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. Apparently, the firstborn or the son that was recognized as the firstborn which in this case would have been Joseph, even though he was son number 11, he had the coat of many colors, which was the sign of the firstborn. And that was the reason, by the way, he was sold into slavery. But your son will close your eyes. So part of the addressing the body is closing the eyes. Then, like it says, falling on the body, embracing the body, kissing the body, uh, and weeping. Hmm. <clears throat> the third element is anointing the body. Or it's actually a little bit more than anointing. It's it's uh there's several things that take place. The body is washed, uh the the corpse is cleansed. Um Acts chapter nine verse thirty seven says that when Tabitha died, and Peter went to view the body, they had washed the body. So they wash the body. Then they anoint the body. Now in John chapter 19, it's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who actually bury Jesus' body. And um, John 19, verse 39, uh, with him, with Joseph of Arimathea, came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following the Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. So they would anoint the body with perfumed ointment. And the purpose of that is to keep the stench of the dead body mm-hmm. at bay. They would then dress the body, and then they would swathe the body. They'd 
mummifying. They're not mummifying it, but they are wrapping the kind of cloths that we traditionally associate with mummies around the body. They haven't mummified it in Egypt. They would pull out the internal organs and and then uh, wash that out and preserve it. That was not a Jewish custom. Uh, They would allow the body to decay, but uh, they would dress the body and then wrap the body in cloth. And then they would cover uh, the face of the body with a separate linen cloth. Now this is this is told in Lazarus when Jesus tells uh, Lazarus to come out. Um, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes. That's the long linen cloth that they wrapped all around the body. His face wrapped in a head cloth. So there was a separate kind of like a handkerchief or a, or a napkin that went over the face. They wouldn't wrap the head in those same linen cloths. They put a single sheet of linen over the head. Okay, sorry. Quick, quick little question here. Yeah. Um, the Shroud of Turin gets brought up all the time. Mm-hmm. Where does, like, if it's a separate totally thing. Totally separate from this. By legend, myth, right. history, whatever. I'm not saying the Shroud the of Turin. The Shroud of Turin was supposedly a long piece of linen, linen, probably about 15 feet long, 20 feet long maybe, that when they took Jesus' body from the cross, they laid it on the cloth of the Shroud of Turin, and then they took it and they folded the other end over Jesus. So it would have been and like they the, used that like, to carry like the him to the tomb. It's kind of the gurney. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They used that then to carry Jesus to the tomb, but he wasn't buried in the shroud of Turin. I understand. That was just to get him there. Gotcha. And that's a whole different. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we a, can get into that someday. Maybe. But but that is okay. That's all I was wondering. So the body is now prepared. Now they inter the body. And uh, scripture talks about four ways that you deal with the body after it's, after it's done. Uh, the way Jesus was buried, he was actually buried as a rich man. Uh, even though he died with nothing, he was buried in a rich man's tomb that was prepared for a rich man. It was a man-made cave with a large outer room and a smaller inner room in the back where after the body has decayed, you would take the bones and put them in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, that was for rich people. That was a highly honorable way to die. That was how Abraham buried Sarah. Is it sort of the idea of <clears throat> like you're, you're taking like a whole family tomb to yourself? Well, it's a crypt. So there is a family tomb. So Abraham puts Sarah in the family tomb. But later when Abraham dies, what do they do? They go in there Sarah's body has now decayed. So they take her bones. So they take her bones or whatever happens to be left. They throw out the grave clothes. Those get burned. But whatever's left, 
bones, decaying meat, whatever, gets put in the back. And the front receives the recent corpse. Understood. And so on and so, so on. So it's sort of like a preparation area for really the is. final resting place it's, of the it's body. It's kind of a crypt. And that's why I say a lot of the kings of Israel, when they die, they were buried with the bones of their father. Now, here's a really interesting thing. Um, <clears throat> Elijah and Elisha. Mm-hmm. So when Elijah... Uh, is preparing to ascend into heaven in in the whirlwind. He knows he's going to be going, so he throws his mantle on Elisha. And that's a sign that, Elisha, you are to take over uh, the family business. You are now to be the main prophet. Mm -hmm. Elijah says, ask me whatever you will, and I'll give it to you. And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Elijah says, oh, that's difficult, but I'll pray for it. And he prays for it. Well, here's the interesting thing. Scripture records that Elijah performed eight miracles. Elisha performs 15 miracles. Almost a double portion of the miracles. That's interesting. Except for one. But, but, 2 Kings chapter 13, um, verses 20 and 21. I love this. So Elisha, Elisha dies. Okay. 2 Kings 13, <clears throat> 20 and 21. Then Elisha died and was buried. Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the corpse that they were burying that day into the tomb of Elisha and fled. And as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Miracle number 16, the double portion of the, of, of, of the Spirit of God on Elisha. That's wild. He does 16 miracles, but the last one is done when a corpse touches his bones and comes back to life and runs away with that the guys who are burying him. <laughs> that's like a that's like a Bible Easter egg. Oh like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it's it's one verse in there and you look at it, huh? And but then you go back and you realize yeah. double portion of your spirit. Okay. Man. Okay, that's cool. Now, here's another thing. Um, Bodies at this stage, once they were prepared for burial, could be burned. Okay. And we have a couple of instances of the burning of bodies in... And this is at what stage? This is Old Testament times. Uh, You're just saying at this stage in time. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, This is after... After they've done everything, after they've prepared the body, after the body is ready now to be to be buried. Okay. First Samuel thirty one, uh, eleven to thirteen, when Saul died, um, what they did, what the enemies did, because the enemies had the bodies of Saul, of Jonathan, and the mm-hmm. other of uh Saul's sons, they nailed them to the city wall. Okay. Uh, the old testament doesn't 
present the possibility of crucifixion. But to dishonor a body, you would either hang it by the neck from a, from a tree mm-hmm. or you would nail it to a wall and that was dishonoring because everybody could walk by and see it. The animals could come by, eat on it. Right. When the people of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their mighty warriors traveled through the night to Bethshan, and they took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall. They brought them to Jabesh, where they burned the bodies. Then they took the bones, and they buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. So they took the bodies. Now, today... We have the capability of making a fire hot enough to burn not only the flesh but the bones. They didn't. They burned what they could. The bones were left, and then they buried the bones. But the idea of burning, of, in essence, cremating the body, was an honorable way of disposing with the cadavers. Uh, Amos chapter 6, verse 10. Now this is centuries later. We're now uh, late in um, late in the time of Israel's history. They haven't gone away into exile yet. But in Amos chapter 6, 10, the Lord says... Um, If there are ten men left in one house, they'll all die. And when a relative who's responsible to dispose of the dead goes into the house to carry out the bodies, he'll ask the last survivor, is anyone else with you? When the person begins to swear, no, by... He'll interrupt and say, stop. Don't say no by the name of the Lord. Um... That phrase, he goes into the house to carry out the bodies, literally is, goes into the house to burn the bodies. Hmm. So burning the bodies was an honorable way of dealing with a cadaver. So is cremation known in scripture? Absolutely. Is it a bad way to deal with the corpse? No, it's actually an honorable way of dealing with the corpse. So... You think that that still stands the same today is the question. I don't see any reason why not. There's nothing in the New Testament that says, oh, and by the way, you're not supposed to cremate anymore. You're not supposed to burn bodies anymore. The The main objection I see is generally that a the resurrected body, that you're basically denying your belief in the resurrected body by cremating a body, saying like, I'm not putting it into the ground, but... Flesh rots. Sorry, guys. It's morbid. But like flesh rots, bones turn to dust eventually. Right. Unless they're petrified. Right. But we're all going to turn to dust regardless. It's That's in Genesis, you know, from the dust you came and from the the dust you'll return. So my question is, are we putting limits on God? (laughs) Well, it (laughs) would seem like it would then. Right. Like Charlemagne outlawed. Cremation I did in the Roman that. Empire. Oh uh, I, yeah, I did a quick, just a quick little. Did he say of, why? Um, let's see here, Charlemagne, Charlemagne, Charlemagne. Where are you, Charlemagne? Uh, cremation was outlawed and punishable by death um, because 
Death by cremation, I assume. Yeah, let's see here. <laughs> cremation fell out of favor due to the Christian belief in the physical resurrection of the body. Christians also used burial as a mark of difference from the Iron Age European pre-Christian pagan religions, which usually cremated their dead. Okay. And so it was kind of like a, we're not the pagans, we're not going to uh, do that. Okay. Um, but yeah, like the Catholic Church through much of history held a position that you were not to be cremated, and they eventually lifted that. Okay. Uh, but there's still even some kind of like, well, you need to be cremated before we'll have like the ceremony. So like bringing in an urn kind of thing. So like there's still some very rigid, weird little rules in there. But I, I guess like this kind of – like I said to you when we were kind of planning for all this, um, it reminds me of the Valley of the Dry Bones. <laughs> like th- there's this picture of like the flesh being put back on a bone that yeah. can't happen. That doesn't happen. Yet that's the vision, and, and you know we understand that's a parable. But is that not what's going to happen to every one of us when we're given a new body, that God well, is going to give us yeah. a new body? But it's not the old one that we have. Exactly. <laughs> so why is this an issue is my question. I understand it's, it's a very important step in anyone's life to determine how they're going to bury their loved one. Yeah, yeah. But... I really feel like we're just kind of nitpicking on, on some level here. You don't really need to worry about, is cremation okay? Um, here are cases in scripture where cremation actually honored the dead. Right, and here's the deal. Today, it's the most affordable option for you. Yeah, if yeah. you if you're If money's an issue, I mean, is it not, is it not more loving to say... I want my loved ones to take to take the the easiest route on them. They don't need to go build me a right. you know a monument right. and and put me in this beautiful coffin and whatnot. If you can't afford it, if you can afford it, great, fine. But if you can't, Jesus was the kind of guy that was all about looking out for the other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? I went to some wakes in Colombia, and the the fact of not embalming in Colombia and having to be in the ground within twenty four hours made for some very interesting things. What they would do there, uh, because you didn't embalm, they couldn't really open the casket because it, it would smell bad. It, it would really stink. The body, as it decays, it goes south really quickly, mm. especially in a tropical country. So they would have wooden caskets with windows over the face, and they would open the window so that you could see the, your loved one lying there. Man. With glass, but yeah, they'd kind of slide it down and you could look in and see, but it was interesting. And Columbia was all about the wake. Uh, mm-hmm. You had 24 hours before the body went in the ground. You spent all 24 of those hours with the body. And mm. I went to wakes at 2, 3 a.m. Man. Yeah. Now... So, like, <laughs> sorry, in various cultures, do wakes mean different things? Because, yeah, like, in so. Ireland, the wake is after <laughs> the funeral, it's right? Like a, or like in it's Europe? like a drinking party, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what you always see. Like, Irish wakes are just giant 
bingers. <laughs> like, let's all just get wasted and sing. Yeah, know? I'm. I'm sorry if if you are Irish, we may have just misrepresented and insulted you. I'm so sorry. Hey, look, look. If 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 that was wrong, and I have inadvertently <laughs> insulted you, I'm sorry. But the media has misrepresented your people for very, very long, and it's their fault, not mine. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, for real, though, yeah, let us know. If you're listening to this, let us know if that's right or not. I don't know. There are two other ways in Scripture that they dealt with uh, the cadaver at this point. We talked about a cave. We talked about burning. Um, The normal thing was to bury a body in a shallow grave. And it was buried without a casket. It was simply the body in a grave. And the body decomposes very quickly. And uh, very soon, all of uh, they're gone. When you say shallow dust. grave, what do you mean? I don't know exactly how deep. It's kind of hard to determine. But we gather this from uh, archaeological excavations, where they find one or two people together in a shallow grave, knowing exactly how deep it was. Who knows? Well, I was going to say, but is it is it? I don't think shallower it's six than feet. okay, because yeah. like. Today, we get weird about shallow graves. Oh, yeah. I mean, probably for the fact that they could wash up. Right, <laughs> I mean, right, the right. Thing. And I, like once again, guys, I'm sorry that this topic is a little bit morbid, but it, it, it just is what it is. Right. Um, it's death, and death is not pretty. Right. But it's kind of part of it. The final way is what you do to someone when you don't like them. A dishonorable way to deal with a cadaver is to pile a pile of stones on top of them. Hmm. So the book of Joshua, chapter 7, verse 26. This is the story of Achan, who, when uh, Israel uh, defeats Jericho, Mm -hmm. they're told, don't take anything. Well, Jacob, he takes gold, he takes silver, he takes some clothing, and he hides it. They stone him, and verse 26, they piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day, and they call the place the Valley of Trouble ever since. Um, It's a way to dishonor the dead. They're not in the ground. They're above the ground. You throw the stones on top, and it's kind of a monument to their life, whatever they did. Absalom, David's son, that almost tore the kingdom away from Mm -hmm. David. He was buried under a pile of stones. Absalom's the one that gets his hair stuck in the tree, right? Yep. 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 Yeah. So that's a pile of stones as well. No good. No. So you don't want to be hung from a tree and you don't want a pile of stones and he got both. And you don't want to be nailed to the wall. So Okay. (laughs) Rough. Did you say Jonathan was nailed to the wall? Yeah. We like Jonathan. Though. Oh yeah. That's sad. Oh yeah. That's and David, David told me. Hey, he was he was beside himself. Man. Yeah. That just was not a great time to be so alive. Years <laughs> later, David came back to the men of Jabesh Gilead and he said, Because you rescued Jonathan's dead body from where it was hanging. And he showered them with all kinds of gifts and blessings and favored uh, areas. And uh, yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. 
Um, yeah, so I mean, in summary, burials looked a lot of different ways throughout the history of time. I mean, we didn't even get, I mean, we talked about like a little bit of like Egyptian, you know, mummification, stuff like that. I mean, that, they're interculturally, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, we oh, have yeah. so many ways it's oh, looked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just looking at kind of like our Christian, Judeo Christian past, um, there've, there've still been a lot of different ways that yeah. burial happens. And so, you know, whatever questions you're wrestling with today about burial, um, it's really, kind of your preference yeah because here's the deal we're not coming back as this same rotten pile of bones like just coming back no we're getting a new body we're going to be new we're going to be resurrected with these new amazing bodies hopefully resembling that of christ after his resurrection right um and so you don't have to worry too much about that um yeah so if you're struggling with can I be cremated? Is that okay? Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't let people freak you out too much. And and don't freak yourself out too much. Yeah. Um, which I think we have a good tendency of doing oh, as Christians. Oh, boy, do we ever. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Hey, well, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining us. And uh, if you've got questions, you can ask those at questions at becomehope.com or – uh, the salty saints at becomehope.com. Sorry, right. I That's lost right. it for a second. Um, well, after all, you've been buried in the last several minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't know that I was gonna be uh buried today, but hey, whatever. Um, yeah, if you want to give us a like, give us a subscribe, um, all that is welcome. Ratings are welcome. And until next time, please stay salty. I found myself on a ledge, three stories high, at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yates. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend. In my new podcast, Billy on the Goat, I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.